day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. This is the word of God. Now I would like to invite Pastor Young to share the message with us. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, man, I've had the uh, privilege of actually hearing Jay lead from the front um, over the last 10 years. And so uh, his uh, prayers have really enriched me, and they've definitely uh, filled out even more uh, over time as well. And so it's just really great to see. Uh, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life, as Jay mentioned. And we are beginning a new series today uh, that's going to take us all the way through to Good Friday and Easter Sunday as well. So you can probably see the artwork uh, on the screen behind me. We've had a bit of an upgrade to the screen, actually. Like, did you guys notice? Um, if you guys have been coming for a little while. Um, so you should be able to see the lyrics a little bit better, uh, hopefully. Um, but yes, so uh, the new series is called So That You May Live. Uh, it is where we examine what Jesus did over his lifetime here on earth. Uh, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Now, throughout this series, we're going to ask the question, how does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection affect our life, our death, and our resurrection as well? And so we'll look to answer this question uh, by looking at what Jesus did during his time here on earth, and we'll examine one aspect of what it is that he actually did week by week, as we walk along with Jesus uh, on his journey to the cross. And today, uh, as you can see by the title, we're looking at how Jesus invites us. Uh, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll get into the word for today. Uh, Father, we come before you and we throw ourselves upon your mercy, knowing that you are merciful, gracious, and a good God. You have an utmost love for us, God. It's something that we can never fully quite grasp. It's something that we might even doubt at times. And yet we know when we read your scripture, when we encounter who you are, that you are love. And so we turn to you and we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your love, that you would help us, Lord, to turn to you in prayer. And in fact, color our prayers this morning and help us, Lord, to pray your words that we might turn back to you, that we might repent, and that we might seek you. 
You are our life. You are our everlasting life. And from you, we seek to find rest. So would you help us, Lord, to hear your invitation this morning and take that invitation that we might come and find our weary souls unburdened once again as we seek rest and renewal in you. Be with us, Lord, and help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, a few years ago, I uh, pastored at a church that the lead pastor had planted 30 years prior. And I had the privilege of working very closely with him. And so over this time period, I would just kind of pick his brain a little bit, you know, try to find out a little bit about uh, what he's experienced over that 30-year time period, uh, some of what kept him going in this long marathon of a race. Um, Throughout the course of our conversations over the years, there were many things that he would highlight. And so he would talk about a whole bunch of different things. But one thing that consistently came up was his best friend, a fellow pastor that my pastor always talked about in glowing terms. I think they were around the same age, but he really seemed to look up to him. He really seemed to speak in such uh, amazing terms about this man. I never actually ended up meeting the man in person. Uh, but his testimony about his friend made me want to get to know him as well and made me probably more open uh, to whatever that man would say. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Have you ever had an experience where someone you know and respect tells you about someone that they respect? You know, it gives a lot of credibility to that person that they're talking about. It makes you want to get to go and know this person yourself and it opens you up to what that person has to say as well. And this passage that we read this morning, it introduces us to John the Baptist. He's a fairly successful preacher during this time who's been baptizing his followers in the Jordan River. He has quite the following. We hear about all these different people following him, getting baptized, and he does exactly this. He points to the one that is to come. John invites his disciples into his witness his testimony about who Jesus is, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. Read with me. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I told you about. And later on in verse 34, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John's invitation to his disciples had a hand in creating Jesus' core group of disciples. So Jesus' disciples, some of them actually come from John's discipleship group. You know, verses 37 to 38, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? And so these two disciples walk away from John, they hear what John has to say, and they start following Jesus, and when Jesus notices them, he asks them, what are you looking for? And this question works on more than one level. On the surface, Jesus is just asking them what they want. What are you looking for? What do you want? They're following him, so they must be after something. But on the, on the other hand, there's a deeper question of motives, of purpose in life that Jesus is driving at. He's inviting the disciples and us as well when we read this to ponder about this. What are you really looking for in life? This is one of the biggest questions that we face in life. You know, you might have faced this question at one point as an angsty teenager all those years ago. I constantly question, what's the point of life? What's the point? What, what do we live for? And many people attempt to answer this question 
with life goals that have to do with achievements that they make, or with family and legacy. Whatever the case, the least that we can do is to at least ponder the question and try to answer it for ourselves. What is it that you're living for? Now the disciples, for their part, they don't answer in the most straightforward way. They hear the question, but instead they ask their own question back to Jesus. You know, maybe they thought that it would be too much for them to just get into all of this now, to ask all their theological questions about, hey, what did our master mean when he called you son of God, lamb of God? What does that mean? Are you really the son of God? And so they ask Jesus, where are you staying? I don't know about you, if two strange men are following me and they ask me, where are you staying? You know, I don't know if I would answer the same way that Jesus does. I'd probably run. Okay, but what are the disciples really asking here? There definitely is the question of where Jesus is physically staying, where he's residing at, because he's a traveling teacher. They can see as much. He must be staying somewhere in the vicinity. And if they have a lot of questions for Jesus, they will probably be better asked there, where they can get off the dangerous road. You know, it's getting dark soon, and it's not like our time now. There's no streetlights, right? But for us, there's a deeper meaning that we can find in this question. Okay? In the Greek, when you know, this was originally written, the word translated as staying for us here is also the same word that gets translated all throughout the book of John as remain or abide. In other words, where do you remain? Where are you abiding? These aren't necessarily the most common words that you hear. You know, think about the last time that someone to told you, I remain here, or I abide here. You know, you, they don't say that. No one says that, right? But when we read through the book of John, when we read through the Bible, these are words that are kind of familiar to us, especially if we read through John chapter 15, which I'll read to you a little bit later. But in any case, to their question, Jesus answers, come and you'll see. A question for us as we're following along with these events, okay? These seem pretty straightforward. You know, there might be a little bit of deeper meaning, but a question for us now. At this point, whose disciples are these? These guys who have come to Jesus, who have received this invitation from him, whose disciples are they? If John's disciples are gonna become Jesus' disciples, they have to not only take John's invitation, his witness about who Jesus is, they have to not only address what it is that they're looking for, what they really want in life, they have to actually take Jesus' invitation as well. Now, oftentimes, we can come to church on Sundays, we hear the invitation from the preacher. It goes out every week. There's an invitation made. And we walk away thinking about the sermon whether or not it appealed to us personally. We might take the preacher's invitation to really consider what's being preached, to think about it over the week, to think about Jesus' identity. And we might even come to terms with what it is that we're looking for in life and wonder if it works with whatever he's talking about. But in the midst of all this, it might be years, it might be decades, and we might never actually take Jesus' own invitation. In my teens, I wondered about the point of life. And it took over a decade of searching, 
of going in circles like this before I finally took Jesus' invitation to take up my cross and follow him. This is the kind of invitation that keeps going out. This is Jesus' invitation. Come and you'll see. You want to know where Jesus is staying? Come and see. You want to know how he abides? Come and see. Jesus remains in the Father by constantly having fellowship and being in communion with him. This is how he remains. Once you take his invitation to come and see, by seeing, you may live. And by having fellowship and being in communion with our Father God too, you may live. The reading goes, so they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. You know, when Jesus invites, there's this underlying message beyond that little invitation of come and see where I'm staying, there's an underlying message, and that is the offer to begin discipleship with him. For the disciples, it's getting late. It's already four in the afternoon, it tells us. So it's getting dark in this time of year in this uh, place. And by the time they arrive, where he's staying, by the time they eat, and by the time they start talking together, it'll be dark. And so they'll be asking questions. The offer is basically from Jesus. Hey, let's talk into the night. Ask all the questions you have. We'll keep talking. This is discipleship. When I was living in Korea uh, doing Bible college, this is a very nostalgia-heavy sermon. Uh, when I was living in Korea doing Bible college, I signed up to serve as part of the children's ministry at the church that I was uh, planted at. And while he, uh, interviewing me after church, the pastor that was overseeing the area of children's and youth ministry, he started getting to know me. And then the first thing that he did, he convinced me to switch to youth ministry because there was more need. And I wasn't interested. But he, he, well, what, what was I going to say? He convinced me. And so I asked him, Pastor, where are you staying? No, I didn't ask that. No, I asked him to disciple me. It was very straightforward. I just asked him, well, if you're going to do this, disciple me. Like, teach me how to do this. I didn't feel very confident. I was like a first year in seminary. And so I didn't feel very confident about getting across the message to a bunch of high schoolers. I felt a little nervous. Backgrounds in education, but still felt a little bit nervous. And I didn't know what to expect. I never had someone older in faith guiding me. And during all my time growing up in the faith, I never had someone guiding me in faith. But my discipleship relationship with him consisted of him inviting me out. We would go for a hike in the mountains where we would talk about church. We'd get coffee together and we'd just talk about relationships. Both of us started single. Both of us ended up married. He started inviting me to go and pray with him, to talk theology with him to talk about church ministry. And discipleship, I realized later, was an invitation into his lifestyle and the way that he lived so that I could observe and take these things away with me as well. So what do the disciples see in our passage? If Jesus is inviting them in, it's an invitation into Jesus' lifestyle, the way that he lives, and they see a lifestyle of retreat and re-entry as well. Luke 4.42 reads, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a de deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. And so here we see that Jesus retreats 
he withdraws from the crowd. Here, his retreat is actually interrupted by the crowd still. They still find him. But what was he planning on doing once he retreated? We know because he retreated like this habitually. We actually see this throughout the Gospels. We see the way that he continues and continues to retreat. We see this in Luke 5.16. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places, once again, deserted places, and he prayed. So his plan was to retreat and pray. And in this, we find where Jesus is staying, where he abides, how he remains in his communion with the Father. So he receives his Father's voice in the meditation on Scripture, and we know this because he constantly quotes Scripture. And in praying, Jesus spends time responding to the Father, not just going through a checklist of things that have to happen in faith, but it's simply the way that he remains, his pursuit of communing with our Father God. This is how he remains. And so when Jesus invites the disciples to come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while, what do you think he's inviting them into? The disciples have seen the way that he lives, and so they must know it's an invitation into his way. These are the things, these are the places where Jesus often retreated to spend time with the Father. So this is where he's telling them to find rest. Go into deserted places. Withdraw from the crowd. Withdraw from everything else that's calling for your attention in life. Spend time meditating on his word and respond in prayer. This is how you find rest. And this is what Jesus is telling him. In our passage today, when Jesus invites the disciples to see where he's staying and how he remains, come and you'll see the invitation is into his life and his habits. It's not just a time-limited thing. It's not just a, hey, come for a night and then I'll tell you everything you need to know and then I really gotta go somewhere. He invites them to retreat with him regularly, consistently, to hear from God habitually, constantly, and to respond in prayer. And this is his invitation. And so what about for us? Will we take the invitation from the preacher this morning to hear the witness about who Jesus Christ is, to approach him, to remain in him? Are we going to be able to take Jesus' own invitation into his life, knowing that oh, we know more than the disciples did at this time? Because we know that it's an invitation not only to, into his life, but also his death as we look towards Easter. Now, sometimes we don't like to do this because we don't understand yet. I acknowledge this. Like when we hear the sermon, when we read through the Bible, when we get invited to pray, sometimes we don't like to do this because we don't feel it yet. We feel like it will be less genuine if we suddenly pray at this point, if we start to meditate on, on Scripture. We feel like it will be less genuine. But please notice that when the disciples came to Jesus, they don't call him by any of the titles that John gave them. They don't say, Hey, son of God. I guess that would be really awkward to say anyway. Hey, lamb of God. They, they call him rabbi. They call him teacher. And throughout the rest of their time with Jesus, the disciples, they constantly misunderstand Jesus' identity. They get rebuked for it. They don't understand even the titles that they call Jesus. 
if this is the case, then they confess what they don't quite understand. They ask to remain with someone that they don't fully comprehend. But this leaves room for growing understanding. So why not us as well? So take a step of faith today. This is what Christianity is based on, right? It's faith. If this is the case, take that step today. John's disciples took a step of faith in hearing their teacher's invitation. They took a further step of faith in taking up Jesus' invitation to come and see. So now the ball's in our court. Will you take Jesus' invitation today? How about I lead us in some prayer? John 15 reads this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. And there's that word again, remain. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And this is an invitation to us as well today, to cultivate those same habits that the disciples observe while living with Jesus, habits of retreating to hear from God and responding in prayer, and then of re-entering with our hearts and minds renewed to echo the heart of Christ and acts of love to all those around us. Why don't we pray for this? That we would hear his invitation and that we would be able to take up his invitation as well. It's a very simple prayer. Take a moment to pray that prayer for yourself. Father, I pray that I will be able to hear the invitation that Jesus has for me. Father, I pray that you would help me to take his invitation to come and see.
God, I pray for all those that want to take up the invitation that your son Jesus has for us. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen their resolve. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would give them the ability to carry out this commitment that you've brought them towards. It's much too heavy a burden for us to take up our cross and walk. And yet we know, Lord, that our burden of sin has been lifted off of our shoulders and has been placed upon the capable shoulders of your son, Jesus. We look forward in this Lenten season. We look forward to Easter Sunday when we'll celebrate his resurrection from the dead. When all was forgiven, when we found new life in you. We know, Lord, that through Jesus' invitation, we are invited to your family to live as your son, your daughter. There's nothing else in this world that compares to this. Who are we that you are mindful of us? And yet you care for us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would take this to heart, that we would be reminded of your love once again, that we would find grace renewed in our hearts. Would you help all of us here at New Life to have our souls formed and fed in these quiet moments, meditating on your word, responding in prayer, and that we be renewed in what you've called us to do, to love one another as you have loved us. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name.